Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay. King shall bow down before him. And Father, we come to you tonight and pray that in our heart of hearts we would indeed bow down before you as Lord, that we would know your word to be good for us, and that we would worship you because of it. And so I do pray tonight, speak to us, encourage us, build us up, challenge us where we need to be challenged, and I pray that we would give great glory to your name through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully you got one of these green sheets uh, in the insert, and if that is of use to you, um, it's there uh, for for help, and that will go through our structure of this psalm tonight. I've been speaking, uh, I was speaking just this week to a friend uh, who I hadn't seen for a while, for just under a year, and she was trying very hard as as we were catching up, she was trying very hard to focus on asking me how I was doing. But I could see as she did it, she was holding back 
tears of sadness. She was, she's a godly older lady who has humbly served and loved others for a very long time. Her husband died just a few years ago after agonizing years with dementia, and she has spent most of her days since quietly just getting on with serving in her church, her local community. And she went on to tell me that since I last saw her just under a year ago, her sister uh, had just a few months ago died. And just over the last few weeks, one of her children's marriages had badly, badly broken down. And my friend, understandably now in tears, said to me, I just don't want to live in this world any longer. I don't want to be part of this world with so much pain. Now, what am I to say to my friend? I'm, going, I'm, I'm writing her a letter uh, at the moment. What am I to say to her in this letter? What does she need to hear? Well, our psalm tonight, Psalm 40. You have a God, the Lord, whose character is to love you, care for you, He has gone to the most extreme lengths to save you. Turn to him. Focus on who he is and what he has done for you. Perhaps tonight you are in deep, hard times at the moment. Well, you need to hear Psalm 40. Maybe you haven't yet hit particularly difficult times. Well, let me pass on what others have kindly passed on to me. It's only because you haven't lived long enough. And you too need to hear Psalm 40. So in Psalm 40, we meet Israel's King David, and he's in deep trouble. Verse 12, he's overwhelmed by his own sinful state before God. He's lost in the midst of his own fallen nature. And if he doesn't hear the heavy, capitulating beats of his own deceitful heart in verse 14, it's only because the sound is being drowned out by people taunting him and plotting his murder. Well, what does David do in immediate torment? How can his soul rest when he's considering his future ahead? Well, what does he do? He recalls the Lord who has already revealed his character and delivered him from past harm. And so that's what we have in the psalm, particularly the first 10 verses. We have the Lord who has delivered David in the past. David's focusing back on a past event that has happened in these first 10 verses. And that's where we'll spend most of our time um, tonight looking at these 10 verses where the Lord delivers David and then his response to that and then we'll wrap up with what that means now for David as he lives presently and of course now for us as we live uh, in, in perhaps facing hardship. So the Lord who has delivered us in the past, verses one to 10, Well, we've got these three verses. The first three verses, we have deliverance. Something huge has happened to David in his past. David doesn't tell us the nature of his past ordeal, whether it's a desolate experience of sin, 
depression, harm from others, perhaps health problems? Well, we don't know. But we do know it's a dark and lonely place he was in. A slimy pit as described. He has fallen. He's clamoring and grasping around to get out. He's slipping around in the mud and the mire. And he can do nothing. He can do nothing for himself. He's utterly helpless. He's in too deep. His struggle is too large. And he can read self-help books till his eyes pop out of his head. He can tell himself to stay calm, focus. He can recall his school reports telling him he just needs to believe in himself. But David knows the reality. He's in too deep. He can't get out of the predicament himself. And more significantly, well, he has one who can rescue him. He knows that. The Lord, who has assured him he will look after him. And while the only sensible thing to do, at the bottom of an inescapable pit, when you know that rescue is just at the top, well, he calls out and he simply waits. There's no point in wasting energy doing anything else. He calls out and he waits patiently. That's what he does. He calls to the Lord for help and he waits. Well, is David's confidence in the right place? Will the Lord rescue him? Well, that's the thing about the Lord. That's what David knows about the Lord. He is the deliverer. It's in his character that he chooses to save. And so from the heavens, we don't have to read very far, do we, to find? So from the heavens, God reaches down and pulls David out and he sets him on safe, solid ground. And we can see David in his overwhelming, grateful, relieved, rejoicing Well, he's given this tremendous new song to sing. God gives him a song and David, he sings and he sings and he sings. People from all around want to hear it. In verse three, they will find out what's been going on. They will see what's happened to David and how it's impacted his life. And they will find out the character and importance of the Lord who delivers. They will give their lives into the the hands of, of God. Salvation for David, that's the event. It's a wonderful, verse three actually, these first three verses are wonderful picture and look at what evangelism is. We could, we could have another sermon on that. We can't look at that tonight, but just how God rescues and the response being that others see and want to know God themselves. Salvation for David, that's the event. And in the following verses, well, we see the fruit uh, that comes from it. The experience of God's rescue, well, it leads to, you've got it here, adoration, heartfelt obedience, and then witness testimony to God's people. So let's look, verses four to five, we have adoration. You see, as David recollects recollects what the Lord has done for him, he sees the reality of the world around him. He sees the emptiness of what others offer him. He sees the foolishness of devoting your life to anything else. And he worships. 
the only one who has revealed himself to be worthy of the worship. It is indeed the Lord, the Lord, the one who has done so many wonderful things. David doesn't know where to begin. There are too many. I've uh, just moved house this week and I've been utterly impressed by myself with how I can hang a picture correctly. Okay, so the picture goes up. I stand in awe of myself and how good that picture looks. Well, what has God done? He has the sun, million, 15 million degrees Celsius of heat producing in one second more energy than mankind has used in our whole history. The moon perfectly orbiting around the earth month after month in clockwork precision. The moon, it doesn't break down. Have you ever thought that? The moon, it doesn't break down. It just keeps going around perfectly. If we think of impressive feats humans are celebrated for, so Van Gogh, the starry night, it's good, but it's not the northern lights. God simply spoke, and up came the Alps. And he doesn't just do big and beautiful either. He does complex details too in nature. The golden orb spider, weight for, for weight, producing webbing five times stronger than steel. The body, the eye has more than two million working parts to it. And we don't have time to start thinking about the gifts of our relationships, the amazement of holding a brand new baby, the delights of different cultures, cuisine, sport. We deserve none of them. But he has generously planned so many wonderful things for us. And it's within this wider grid of, grid of a generous God, giving and giving and giving to us, we have what David celebrates as the ultimate generosity of God the Lord's salvation. And it was what was to come which would be God's most remarkable wonder for us. The almighty, eternal God who designed and formed all this living creation that surrounds us from nothing, from absolutely nothing for us to enjoy, well, he becomes man in Christ Jesus taking on the limitations, the humiliations that he takes on to provide friendship to those that have decided to be his enemy. The Apostle John in the New Testament, well, he gets this in a very similar way. He's left open-mouthed by the limitless capacity of his master who he walked alongside. John's gospel is beautiful. It's a beautiful and brilliant account of the lengths God went to for us. And so while we may too quickly ask, how can a loving God allow me to go through dot, dot, dot? Well, after living alongside Jesus, watching him tortured, despised, and killed, well, all that was on John's mind by the end of his gospel. How could the loving Lord love me this much? John ends his account in awe of the limitless magnitude of all that Jesus accomplished for mankind's salvation. John 21, he reflects, if every one of the things Jesus did were written down, well, the world, it wouldn't be big enough to contain the books they were recorded in. The apostle John knew it. David here in Psalm 40, he knows it. The unfathomable ability of this God 
Is this the God you know? Many, many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. Well, David knows it. He adores him. Then we've got these verses in verse 6 to 8. Focusing on obedience. We worship in word as we reflect on God's salvation to us. And then we live our lives in accordance to who he is in obedience. We express adoration of his greatness. And that should lead us indeed to wanting to follow him. And this is not obedience merely through action here, but one of deep heart conviction from one who completely trusts the will of the Father. So verse six, not sacrifice or offering. Verse eight, a desire to do his will. Commitment here, driven from heart desire. David knows he doesn't have a God who needs his ego built up through ceremony. He also knows that he doesn't need to, God doesn't need to flaunt his position by compelling a bunch of slaves to honor him in fear. No, this Lord longs for our affection. He wants to fulfill our desires, satisfy our deepest longings, fill our emptiness. He wants us to enjoy him. But we so quickly offend him, don't we? We turn it into something else. Well, imagine saving someone's life and instead of them running up and, and giving you a huge hug and crying and thanks to you, well, they come up to you, they get their wallet out, and as they say a polite thank you, they give you 50p and suggest your evens. Well, that's sort of what was going on with the Israelites when they frequently got this wrong, when they wanted to keep God happy, they would thrust a sheep or a bull in front of him, and then they would just go on living how they pleased. And human behavior has not changed. We so often want a tit for tat, sort of transactional relationship with God. We think if we do this, well, he'll come good for us. If we do that, if we give, sort of put this coin in the cosmic slot machine as such, well, it'll come good for us. And when it doesn't, well, we've got no answers. How can he do this to me? When I've done all of this for him, it's not the relationship that we have with this God. Actually, it's more of a relationship that people had and how they interacted with pagan gods, God, good deeds for spiritual blessings. Every act of seeming benevolence we've experienced, the incurring of a debt we must repay. Well, this sort of relationship is not a relationship with David's God. Verse six, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. And again, verse eight, I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. See, David, he's recalled how the Lord delivers. He worships him for his wonders and plans for us and his heart is compelled to him. And that the only thing that makes sense is wholehearted love and commitment to him. It's important to note at this point, there was, as most of you will know, a sacrificial system set up in the Old Testament, but never to suggest a dead sheep would keep God happy. See, the role of sacrifice in the Old Testament was 
served only to show our sin was to be taken very seriously. And it was going to take a very serious sacrifice to satisfy the penalty. A perfect sacrifice, the perfect, obedient, divine sacrifice of the Son. That's all that would do. That's what we're told in Hebrews 10. We're going to have a look at that for a few minutes. There's some tricky verses here in verse 68. I, uh, Hebrews 10 is a brilliant help with them. So um, could I just ask if you have, keep Psalm 40 open. I'm going to keep asking to flick back and forward. Sorry about that. But Hebrews 10, uh, page 1207. Let me read it for us from verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then these are our verses in Psalm 40. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sinner offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written, about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. You see, these verses in Psalm 40, well, they tell us of the one who would come and perfectly obey. Not David. The Bible is very honest with lots of material of David's wrongs. No, it's one David would point forward to, the Christ as we have in Hebrews 10. Jesus, the one who would make once for all the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who is perfectly obedient to the Father to the point of death. The Old Testament law pointed to him. That's the scroll of of Psalm 40. The people waiting on one who would be in a position to pay for everyone else's sin and not his own sin. Well, the Lord Jesus, he was that person. His whole body prepared to do the will of the Father, akin to what something like what Paul writes in Romans 12. I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. So it's a whole body, a whole body, soul, mind, strength, obedience, Obedience is all of you. And I think that's what's going on, if you want to go back to Psalm 40, that's what's going on in verse five. You may have noticed Psalm 40 has the phrase, but my ears you have pierced in. In verse six. Or literally in the Hebrew, ears you have dug for me. And you may also have noticed it's a different phrase in Hebrews 10. Well, the, the phrase, again, just how it works, uh, the, the Old Testament written in Hebrew and the translation with the Jews would have translated the Old Testament into Greek. And it would have been, the, as the translator put this verse in, he would have understood the body to be the whole. That's what's going on with the ears, the dig out of the ears, wholehearted obedience, listening to God. And he put it in a way that would be understood at the time. It's a whole body obedience to God. I think that's 
uh, what's going on. Utter, complete, utter devotion to listen, to obey you, but a body you prepared for me. See, God's son, Jesus Christ, he had no thought for empty sacrifice or pomp ceremony. He simply listened and obeyed. And there was no deeper and no darker a pit than the one Jesus entered on our behalf. And as we contemplate the Lord's salvation, well, we are to remember God is one who not only saves us, but he knows the pain. He knows the pain involved in granting us deliverance. And please can I encourage you tonight from Psalm 40, that's the God who cares for you in your pain. Then we have verses nine and 10. Witness. This is witness to the assembly. David's final response, I proclaim righteousness in the assembly. I do not seal my lips. You see, David, he's recounted the darkness of his predicament. He's lost in the mud. He's sinking further into the sludge. He calls out, he waits on the Lord. The Lord rescues him. And how could he not tell of God's tremendous love for him? A few years ago, I went to a wedding in the Lake District. In the Lake District. And I, I went, the reason why I bring it up uh, is because it, I remember very clearly, actually, the best man's speech. I don't remember a lot of best man's speech, so generally uh, very similar to one another, uh, derogatory sort of uh, attacking uh, their best friend. I don't quite get where we've got that from, actually, uh, but that's generally how a best man's speech goes. Well, this one was very different. So instead of the usual derogatory jokes aimed towards the groom, well, the best man gushed in tears as he recalled the day, the pair had gone on a climbing trip, I think maybe for a weekend. Uh, the two, both of them keen and capable um, climbers. And the best man had fallen. He had fallen on some rocks. And he thought he was going to die. It was pretty severe. He described the details of it. And the groom had heroically saved his life. No doubt, the best man had recounted this story many times. And he movingly told of how he shouldn't have been at that wedding but for the actions of his friend. Well, in a much greater way, David will not keep the Lord's righteousness to himself. He won't conceal his love and his truth. It wouldn't be right to do so. It wouldn't be right for people not to hear of who this Lord is. And if you're a Christian here tonight, can I just make clear to you, in case you've forgotten, just in case you've forgotten, you have so much to thank God for. He has been so good to you. And can I also encourage you, don't hold back in sharing that all that God has done for you amongst friends here. 
He has saved you. And he continues to work in your life. And I recognize, now I do recognize, and maybe this is part of the the Celt in me, but I do recognize that, and this goes way beyond the British genetic makeup. Now I am 100% British, uh, but but sometimes I've got sort of something in me uh, that wants to go beyond what a typical British picture uh, is. I've heard an American preacher mock uh, the British reaction uh, to when they experience suffering and joys. Now these are his words, not mine. He says this, he uses the picture, your dog has died, you lose your job, you house, uh, your house is burnt down, you come out of a car accident, and you're asked, how are things going for you, brother? How are things going for you, sister? Well, as well as can be expected. You get promoted, you find a lovely new family pet, you move into a beautiful new house. How are things going for you, brother? How are things going for you? sister. Well, there is a lot to be thankful for. Well, that's not David here, is it? There's no reserved nature about him. He can't contain himself. He's overjoyed in his Lord, and he's bursting for others to know. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I speak of our faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth. Well, wouldn't it be lovely if this was a mark of Christ's church forward to be known for rejoicing in our salvation, to be making so much of Christ Jesus that we can't stop talking of him and what he's done for us. So when a guest returns home from visiting us, perhaps you're visiting tonight and you'll be asked when you got home, how was Fullwood, how was it being here? very welcoming perhaps, friendly, hospitable. I hope that is said. Uh, We want to be those things, but how about their joy in Jesus Christ and their appreciation for what he has done for them? Well, it deeply moved me. So many of them have gone through major struggles and heartaches and they were so grateful to God for Christ's gift of righteousness to them and they were bursting to share it with one another. I met this person badly hit with cancer, yet in all they're going through, they couldn't stop looking back to what Christ has done for them. Well, that would be a beautiful commendation, would it not? Shouldn't that be our aim? Great, of course, to have enjoyable small groups, keen evangelism, discipleship programs, rising Sunday gatherings with good music, but there would be nothing unless the Lord Jesus Christ is at the very center and heart of our congregational thinking. For sufferers to testify of God's goodness to them through trial, for our young to grow up learning how to suffer in their futures ahead, Great for them to do well in exams, but for them to learn and speak passionately and have a deep, deep confidence in a God who they, who they can trust when everything else in the world seems to be falling apart. Well, that's a priceless gift, isn't it? We say along with David, 
the Lord is the Lord who we can recall great thankfulness to, that he has delivered us. And as we start to conclude, we can be oh so confident that we can trust him through our present and future trials. Perhaps this will hit very close to home to many of you tonight. Is the Lord, question, is the Lord the one we can trust now when we go through pain? Well, first 10 verses, the Lord who has delivered us in the past is the Lord who we can trust now with our future. This is in verses 11 to 17. We have a very much a change of tone in verse 11. The jubilant David goes from affirmation to an expression of dependence on the Lord amidst present trials. He is overwhelmed again with trouble. Verse 12, he cannot see. He feels so lost in the dark cloud of his own feelings before God, his unworthiness, his guilt, his regret at how his sin weighs him so, so heavily down. And in verses 13 to 15, while enemies too are lurking and they're seeking to kill him, the momentum of evil against David, both in his own sense of failure, in his sinful sense, and the external pressures of malice seeking to destroy would be unbearable except, except David has reminded himself of the Lord who looks over him, his character. Who is this Lord? Well, he's the one that's delivered him. Verse 11, he already knows God to be a merciful God. He has experienced his love firsthand. And you too may be here tonight, overwhelmed, whether it's from the feeling of the weight of your own sin or perhaps the external pressures you face living as a Christian. You may be very close to giving up your fight. You're just too lost and it's just simply too hard. Well, where can resilience come from for you well, the same place is where David found it. It is in the, in the God who has loved you and valued you and is as committed to you as sending his own son to die for you. So if you sometimes wonder if the Lord Jesus will help you in whatever you're going through now, well, consider what he has already done for you. He has bought you. He has bought you, purchased you with his blood. He has chosen you before the world began. He knew exactly who you were and he has chosen you. And he is awaiting, spending all eternity with you. Well, why would he leave you now? Verse 16, if you're a Christian here tonight, well, verse 16 means you are a remarkable, remarkably an answer to David's prayer. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Well, may the Lord indeed 
be exalted through your trials, through your, str- your struggles, through your pain. Let's pray together. As we close in prayer, let's have the insightful knowledge of verse 17 before us as we speak to the almighty deliverer. Let's pray. David ends the psalm, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. And Father God, we come to you humbly tonight. And we thank you so very, very much for your salvation. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that gave up so much so that we may be free, so that we may be without guilt, so that we could be your friend, so that we have the great hope of eternity with you, basking in your glory, rejoicing in your Son, glad and delighting in one another under you because you are good. And I pray that you would give us deep, deep hearts of praise, even in sadness. That you would take away our fear of what is to come. That you would mature us, that you would grow us to see the the majesty and the magnificence of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that we would continue to sing your praises to one another in worship of you building up the assembly and we would wait for you. And so I do pray that your Holy Spirit would do a great work in Christchurch Fullwood. I pray that it would do a great work in every Christian here tonight. I pray for those that don't yet know that you that they would indeed rejoice in you as their Lord and Savior and see the wonders the many wonders that are an offer for them to see as they come to you. I do pray that as well. So in Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen.